Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever wonder where God lives? Where is, where is, where is he? I remember when I was a kid, I envisioned that God had a big mansion in the sky. It was a big house with many, many rooms. The driveway was paved in gold. It had a massive indoor swimming pool and indoor basketball court because obviously my dream house was the one where God would live, right? Where does God live? Today in our scriptures we get some answers to this question of where God lives, and it might surprise you. It might be unexpected. It might be upside down. Over the last six weeks, we've been preaching through the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians in this sermon series called The Upside Down Kingdom of God, where we're learning that the ways of Jesus and and the way he brings his kingdom is upside down. It's unexpected. It's different than what we would expect. And so, The answer to this question, where does God live, that too might surprise some of us. Uh, Last night, Pastor Kevin and I just got back from a conference in Phoenix, Arizona. So yes, if I look a little sunny, that's why it was a a wonderful time. It's a a conference called the Best Practices for Ministry Conference. It's put on by a, a Lutheran church in Phoenix as a gift to our, uh, our church body. It's actually a free conference, so they, they pay for everything, the food and, and all that stuff. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift to the church. And there were um, over 2,500 uh, church leaders and, and um, lay people that were there to, to learn. Um, I went there along with Pastor Kevin, yes, to learn and grow, to connect with people. Uh, but I also had the opportunity uh, as part of a collaboration to present at this conference uh, along with my good friend, my discipleship coach, my mentor, my brother in Christ, uh, Reverend Dr. David Kim, uh, with Glocal Mission. And so uh, we were presenting on uh, what we talk here often about, about being disciples and, and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And, and so we were talking about the multiplication of disciple makers. And uh, during this time, I ha- again, as I said, I had the opportunity to uh, guest present, and in my presentation, uh, I had the joy of simply sharing stories of people in this church, some of you in this room, whose lives have been touched by the intentional discipleship efforts of, of our attempts to follow the great commission of Jesus Christ, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so it was a true joy to share the stories of this place and to inspire this in other people's ministries as well. Now, going to a conference like this, it's one of those mountaintop-type experiences. I mean, it, it was very evident to me that the Spirit of the living God was in this place. They handed out cotton candy. I mean... What do, you, what do you want? I mean, after every session, you would come out and they would, they would be carrying around bins of ice cream bars 
Klondike, Snickers, you name it, they had it. I just couldn't take any pictures because the Phoenix sun was melting it too quickly and I needed to consume it. It was awesome. I got to meet up with my college roommate who's a pastor in California, Northern California. I haven't seen him in years. He's, he's now written his first book on, on questions you should ask when reading the Bible, and he was presenting on that. Really cool. Met up with uh, another friend of mine who's a pastor in Southern California. Don't worry, I still love the UP, even though all my friends are in California. Uh, it was just, it just great to catch up, and, and it's like a big family reunion, and we gathered together each evening for worship with 2,500 of my friends. I, I know the seats are empty. I took the picture before worship started. Every seat filled up. People were standing all over the place. The spirit of the living God was in this place. I, I knew it. You could feel it. You could see it. His name was being proclaimed. People were encouraging one another, praying over each other. It was awesome. It was one of those mountaintop experiences. Was God there with us? Yeah, of course he was. What about yesterday morning at the airport as I was sitting and waiting for my plane? Was God there? I don't, I don't know these people. I don't know their hearts. I didn't see anybody praying over each other. Nobody was singing. I don't, I don't know. Was God there? Where does God live? Does he, does he live just in the, in the mountaintop experiences? Or is he there with us even when it's not so evident? Well, we read in Matthew chapter 17 today an event that's called the Transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And in the church calendar, today's Transfiguration Sunday. And I just want to reread part of it with you again here today. Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But when Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is a pretty wild event, if you think about it. Peter, James, and John are Jesus' three closest disciples, and they go up with him on a mountain. And there, before their very eyes, it says Jesus was transfigured. Uh, the Greek word there for transfigured is the word metamorpho, like metamorphosis. It, it means his, his outward appearance changed. And, this, and the scriptures attest to this. It says he was shining brilliantly, his, his face glowed, and his clothes were, were dazzling white. He changed before their very eyes. And <laughs> Moses and Elijah show up. If you don't know the biblical story, Moses and Elijah have been out of the picture for a long time. These are Old Testament characters. They've now walked on the earth for many, many, many years. They're there miraculously and by God's divine appointment, Moses being the one who um, is, is the representative of the law. 
the giver of the law, the first number of books of the Bible where God gave Moses the law, the, the organization, God's will for how his creation should operate. And Elijah is there as a representative for the prophets, people of old whose job was to speak God's truth to people and call them to account and call them back to the law, to God's word. People expected that the Messiah, the coming Savior of the world, the King of all kings, would fulfill both the law and the prophets. And so you got Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and they're hanging out talking. And these three guys, Peter, James, and John, are, are over here. They're talking, I mean, I can only imagine what the conversation was like, even if they, if they could even muster words to speak. But then finally, uh, brave Petey, as I sometimes call him, uh, Peter, he likes, to, he likes to step out of the boat and say things. And so he, he walks over and he says, excuse me, kind sirs, <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt, but this seems like an important conversation. It seems like maybe we should just hang out on the mountain a while. How about I build some tents? I'll, I'll start right now. We'll pull one up for you, Moses, Elijah. We'll just hang out on the mountain. And then a voice comes from heaven, from the cloud, speaking the same words that were spoken over Jesus at his baptism. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And then additional words that weren't spoken at his baptism are spoken now. Listen to him. Peter, James, and John fall on their faces. This is the experience of people throughout the scriptures when unholy people are in the presence of a holy God, it's, you, can't, you, can't, you can't handle it. So they fall on their faces. And after an unknown amount of time, Jesus comes to these three men and he says, Rise, get up, have no fear. And they do, and it's just Jesus there. Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus looks regular again. He leads them down the mountain and he specifically charges them, don't tell anyone about this until I rise from the dead. The transfiguration, you could, I think you could literally call it one of those mountaintop experiences because they're on a mountain, but also they, they, they were in the very presence of God. It was, it was evident to Peter, James, and John that, that they were in the presence of God. Of God, just as I, as I said, this conference was a, a beautiful place. I, you could just, you just knew God was there. His name was being proclaimed. It was, it was like that. And they wanted to stay there. They, they, Peter said, it's good, Lord, to be here. Again, though, what about when we get off the mountain and we go into our regular lives? Is Jesus there? How is he there? Well, we read today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, words from the Apostle Paul. And those of you who've been with us, we've been journeying through these first couple chapters. Some of you, this is your, your first time here. I'll, I'll get you caught up. We've been learning in this upside-down kingdom sermon series that, that, that God does things in an unexpected way, but that unexpected way is so much better than the way that we would do things even though we put that upon God so often and we think, God, it would be better if you did things my way. But what we've learned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that we would imagine that Jesus 
if he was going to change the world, that he would come in and with one fell swoop, he would just, just change the world. He would just do it like that, right? That's, that's what we would expect, just change it. But instead, he went to the cross. And 1 Corinthians, 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 said that the, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If, if you're apart from Jesus and you just, you just look at it, and you go, that's dumb. Your God would die? What kind of God dies? That doesn't make sense. But if you spend time with Jesus and you get to know the fullness of Jesus, you actually recognize that the cross is the power of God made known to people because there on the cross, Jesus takes all of humanity's sin upon himself. On the cross, Jesus says, bring me your mess. Bring me your brokenness. Give me your sin. Give me your filth. Give me your addiction. Give me your pride. Give me your power. Give me your wealth. Give give it to me. I'll kill it all. And that's what he does on the cross. Jesus takes it all and it dies. We know from the scriptures, though, that Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. The cross takes the punishment of your sin. His resurrection gives you the promise of a new life. The old has gone. The new has come. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. Jesus rose from the dead, and he was so clear with his disciples that he would do this. Right in the transfiguration, he told them, don't tell anyone about this until I rise from the dead. Right before the transfiguration, you can read it, it's in Matthew chapter 16, right before the transfiguration, he had told them, I'm going to suffer and die at the hands of the religious leaders, and on the third day I'll rise from the dead. He told them that. So Jesus died to take your sin. He rose to give you new life and he has sent his Holy Spirit into this world to move in your life. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't see it, but you experience it. You see its effects. The Holy Spirit's job is to move all throughout this world, to swoop into people's lives and bring them to Jesus. If you're new to Jesus, it's, it's, it's because the Spirit has, has been working in you bringing, you, bringing you into his presence. He gathers you with other people. And so the, the Spirit is moving like the wind, gathering his people, bringing them to Jesus. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? If anyone is God's temple, God will, dest- if, 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 I'm sorry, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do you know this? You are a temple of God? Who's Paul talking to here? Because I, I want to make this very clear. Paul's not talking to the best of the best here. <laughs> He's talking to a, a church in Corinth. They, they weren't a good church. They were unhealthy. They were immature. They bickered. They fought. They, 
They lorded over each other. They, they just, it was all divided. It was a big mess. And Paul says to them, you are God's temple. And if, if, if the spirit of the living God is in you, you can't act like the world. You, you, you have to be transformed into the likeness of, of Christ. Where does God live, my friends? He lives in you. Not just a mansion in the sky, he lives in you. Now, he's not limited by your experience. He's, he's everywhere, he's vast, but he's also, he's in you. But Lord, I'm not a mansion. Lord, I'm not, I'm not rich. My, my driveway's not, not blinged with gold. <laughs> my life's a mess. My house is a, is, a, is a mess. God, you're too, you're too holy for, for me. Too perfect for me. God, God wants to dwell in me. Yeah. God wants to dwell in you. He, he wants to invade your life by the, by, the, by the presence of his spirit. He is in you right now. Look at your feet. This is not a rhetorical statement, friends. Look down, look at your feet. Those are God's feet. Look at your hands. Those are God's hands. Just look with your eyes. What you see, God sees. God's Spirit dwells within you. And today, I want to ask the question, what does this, what does this mean for us, that God's Spirit dwells within us. It means a lot of things, but today I want you walking away thinking about three things. What does it mean that God's Spirit dwells in you? First of all, it means that He, he, he dwells in you to change you. Paul said in, it was in today's reading, in verse 23, Paul said, you are Christ's. You, you, you belong to Christ. You, you belong to Jesus. You've actually been bought with a price. Jesus gave up his life for you. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. And this is actually good for you because it means you don't belong to Satan. You don't belong to sin. You don't belong to eternal death. You don't belong to hell. You, you belong to Jesus and his kingdom. And because that reality is true, it means that you cannot desire these things anymore. It means you can't desire to, to have sin reign in your life. It means you come to Jesus, you confess your sin, you receive forgiveness, and you run from the sin that's in your life. He's changing you. You're no longer a slave to sin. Sin has no mastery over you. God dwells in you because he wants to change you from sin into the newness that he's promised you. Second of all, God dwells in you to remind you that you are not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes this reality is conflicting, especially if you're being tempted to sin. It's the reminder to you Oh, Jesus, you're, with, you're actually with me as I'm heading over here? Hmm. <laughs> I don't really want you to see that. Yeah, you're not alone. He's with you to lead you not into temptation. 
you're not alone. This is also a word of good news and, and compassion and, and joy because you're not alone. You're not alone in your sorrow. You're not alone in your sickness. You're not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in your suffering. Jesus is there with you. You're not alone. The Spirit is in you. You're not alone. God dwells in you so that wherever you go, He goes. Wherever you go, He goes. Why? Well, to change you, to remind you that you are not alone, but also so that Jesus goes into the world to affect the lives of other people. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Kevin preached on the first part of 1 Corinthians 3 and talked about the reality that we are given growth by God, like, like plants, like, like trees growing up out of the ground. Any healthy plant lets its seed go. Anything that is growing and healthy and wants to survive spreads its seed. It's, it's natural. The plants do it. The animals do it. We reproduce and multiply. If, if life is going to continue, it has to spring forth from those who are being given the growth. So God is alive in you so that the seed of the gospel would go and be scattered in the world. I cannot go to all the places you go. You can't go to the places that the other people go. God has sent you to those places with the seed of the gospel. And it's not just for the mountaintop experiences. It's not just for our wonderful gatherings as the church. It's for every day. In every experience. In every life that you encounter. Pastor Kevin and I on our trip, we, we tried to live by this reality. Not just because we're pastors, but, but because this is the way that we want to live. I, I met a guy at a bar in Wausau. I know that, that sounds cool. It was actually Texas Roadhouse. I was just by myself, and so I, I just sat at the bar. Anyway, I didn't really want to talk to the guy I was sitting next to. It was one of those, you know, just, I don't know. But I felt those nudges of the Spirit. You know those nudges? If you're not paying attention to the nudges of the Spirit, I hope you do, where God's like, just, just talk to him. Just talk to him. So I did made small talk about the Super Bowl that had happened the day before, and after that, it didn't take very long. We're, we're talking about faith and Jesus, and turns out he was a children's pastor for 25 years, and in retirement, he's driving truck and delivering car wash supplies. All right. I didn't change his life, but he encouraged me. As a young pastor, he literally encouraged me. And it was encouraging to me also the reminder that not everybody in this world's hostile. Right? Talk to people. Be encouraged. Encourage one another with Christ. Pastor Kevin on the airplane on the way down and on the way back sat in the middle seat um, because I bought the tickets and I assigned him the middle seat. <laughs> um, plus he likes talking to strangers. And he did. If you need a travel buddy, call him. But... No, I mean, you know, it's airplane talk, but it was, it, was, it was wonderful, wonderful conversations. Wonderful conversations about Jesus, about faith, about encouragement, about hope. Who knows what those turn into? The seeds of the gospel spring forth. And that's not just something that we do as pastors. It's what God is doing in his temple, in you. God's spirit lives in you. 
And I remind you of all these realities because sometimes that last one you go, oh, that's scary. I, I don't know how to do that. Well, God's already changed you. He's also with you. When you don't know how to speak, he speaks for you. Just go. Be the people he's created you to be. I know it may not seem logical that the almighty, perfect God would choose to dwell in a humble, broken, sin-filled mess like you, but he has. So I encourage you this week to pay attention to these realities and to let Jesus make you more and more aware of his presence with you so that you can go and spring forth the seeds of the gospel into this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.